All right, guys, we are getting to the last couple of episodes of the book. We obviously covered last week uh, moving back to the United States, uh, time in the Virgin Islands. On this episode, we're going to cover an important loss to the family and an important addition to the family, as well as the start of the podcast. And you'll get to learn how Ricky and I hooked up and uh, what ultimately led to Tracy becoming the full-time host. So I hope you guys enjoy. I will ask that even though this isn't the actual physical copy of the book, if you guys are enjoying this, please go to Amazon and leave a review for the book. And uh, that actually will help out more than you realize. Part 3. Hillbilly Horror Stories Podcast Chapter 20, Back Home Again In June of 2014, we rented an apartment in Georgetown, Kentucky. Georgetown was a nice city, just outside of Lexington, with a beautiful historic town square. A big boost economically came for the city when Toyota opened a manufacturing plant in the mid-1980s. That was the first wholly-owned Toyota manufacturing plant in the United States and was the largest in the world. My new job was great, but I was back to a rigorous work schedule, which is something Tracy had grown to expect. We knew this was a sacrifice that we were going to have to make in order to move back home. Within a month of being back in Kentucky, our decision to return was validated with the birth of our grandson, Colton. This was Austin and Kelly's first child together. Colton was born nine weeks premature. He had underdeveloped lungs and jaundice, and he weighed just under three pounds. He had several obstacles in front of him. This included two small holes in his heart. With the help of a ventilator, he was able to keep his oxygen levels up. Over the period of two months, his lungs developed and the holes in his heart eventually healed. On September 7th, the family rejoiced as Colton was finally able to leave the hospital and come home. We were counting our blessings that we were not in St. Thomas during this ordeal. Our paradise was in Kentucky. I was doing less and less comedy upon our return. There were a couple of reasons why that was the case. The comedy scene was hard and the pressure was high. The entire production was on my shoulders from setting up the shows at bars and clubs, putting together a lineup, selling the tickets, and promoting the shows. Performing was what I loved, but I did not like all the other aspects. All of the behind-the-scene work took away the fun to the point that I didn't even look forward to the nights that I had a show. Once I arrived for the show, I was fine, but I dreaded going the whole day of the event. I had performed once in St. Thomas in five months we were there, which was quite different than the one or two shows that I typically did every week. I stopped doing comedy a couple of times, but I was always drawn back to the crowd and the immediate gratification I would receive while performing on stage. I eventually got to the point where I would only take guest spots on other comics events or at the comedy clubs. On those occasions, I would only need to show up and perform. That was all I really wanted to do anyway. There wasn't much money in those appearances, though, and it was hard to keep a routine sharp performing only a few times a year. I needed to find a creative outlet to replace my comedy. Shortly after we arrived back in Kentucky, Tracy's mother Pearl became ill. For nine months, there were several hospital stays with tests revealing that she was losing a substantial amount of blood. The physicians were never able to find the root cause or locate where the blood loss was going. Pearl would be released time and time again only to make a return visit in a short period of time. 
All the family could do was watch as her health declined. In late February of 2015, hospice was called. This eventually would culminate with the hospital removing Pearl from all life support on March 2, 2015. She took her final breaths with her husband, Eddie, her two children, Tracy and Susie, her brother and sister-in-law, Howard and Rachel, and me in the room. She was 70 years old. Pearl was a great mother-in-law. I've missed our talks in the kitchen as she made her famous fried chicken. One of the hardest things that I've ever had to experience was watching Tracy lose her mother. Susie volunteered to do Pearl's hair and makeup for the funeral. That took some strength. She did a great job, though, and Eddie, I felt so much empathy for him. How would he say goodbye to the woman who had stolen his heart over 50 years ago? To add insult to injury, a massive snowstorm had blown through the area, dumping several inches of snow at the time of Pearl's death. The funeral was held in a timely fashion, but the burial would have to be put off for several days. The accumulation of snow had covered the gravestones in the small church cemetery, hiding them from view. Bringing the heavy equipment through the cemetery to dig the gravesite risked damaging several other gravestones. With the eventual thawing, the family was able to put some closure on this tragic event. In November of 2015, our daughter Kristen and granddaughters Dakota and Addison moved in with us due to a separation between Kristen and the girl's father. Things were a little cramped in the apartment, so in April of 2016, we moved into a much bigger two-story house in Lexington. Having more space was nice, and the kids and Ninja loved the fence backyard. We loved to grill out, and the spacious deck in the back of the house afforded us an opportunity to have several gatherings a year during the summers. I constructed a waterfall and a pond in the backyard. We enjoy the sound of water splashing off the other rocks as it makes its way into the pool of water in the pond. Tracy was not the only one with heart issues. I had my own health care in January of 2013. Tracy and I were in downtown Louisville, ironically enough, serving a subpoena for a medical records at a hospital. I'd been having chest pains for several weeks, and I figured it was probably a clogged artery. If I overexerted myself, the pain would hit me in the chest, but would subside within seconds of stopping the activity. On this particular day, I was having a more severe pain than usual. I got in the car, sat down, and noticed that the pain was not subsiding as usual. I started driving to my next location, and the pain increased. I realized that this was probably bad. We drove to the closest hospital, the University of Louisville Hospital, which was only a few blocks away. A battery of tests were conducted, and I was told that I was, in fact, having a heart attack. My father came up, and we watched the University of Kentucky versus Mississippi State basketball game on TV while they monitored my vitals. Watching the game did not help. They kept me overnight and performed a cardiac catheterization on me the next morning. The procedure revealed two blocked arteries, which both required stents to fix the problem. One year later, we are in the Virgin Islands, and I started to develop some of the same symptoms that I had experienced before my heart attack. I kept this information to myself. Surely it was not possible to have more clogged arteries, I thought. I didn't smoke, didn't drink, I didn't eat lots of fatty foods, and I got plenty of exercise. Thinking about those facts was my effort to convince myself that my symptoms were just in my head. I was perfectly fine as far as I was concerned. Now... I was back in Kentucky two years later, and the symptoms had progressively gotten worse month after month. 
and made an appointment to see a cardiologist in March of 2016. They did some preliminary tests and decided to perform another heart catheterization on me. The test showed that the two stents that were put in just three years before had failed. Luckily, they were able to replace them. Now, heart catheterization is a relatively easy procedure. The wound in the groin takes a few days to heal. For my procedure, they administered a local anesthetic. Within two days, I felt like a new man. Before this, I had to be careful how quickly I walked across a parking lot. If I picked up the pace to a brisk walk, the chest pain would start. I was a ticking time bomb. I knew there was an issue, but I did not want to take the time off of work. By this time, I was now in my regional manager position and I was killing it at work. I have an incredibly positive attitude, sometimes to a fault. I always feel like everything is going to be all right. That should not have caused me to avoid medical attention, but it did. Regardless, I felt strong and healthy again and I was ready to move forward. Chapter 21, Starting a Podcast Ricky Graninger was one of my favorite employees that I inherited when I took over the Color Time location in Lexington. His comedic personality was effortless. This was on display one day when a chipmunk ran into the store. The little critter ran into a small room that we used for going over paperwork with our customers. Inside this room was an artificial tree, a round table, and four chairs. Ricky saw the furry rodent run into the room. He runs in right behind it with a small waste paper basket determined to catch this animal. We shut the door as soon as he was in, trapping him with what sounded like a vicious beast based on Ricky's reaction. There were three of us watching and filming with our phones as the chipmunk jumped from tree to the windowsill and Ricky jumped in the air himself. This went on for several minutes as we tried to figure out which was more scared of the other. I eventually went in to help and the animal jumped straight from my head causing an eruption of laughter from the impromptu audience that was outside the room. One of the things that Ricky and I quickly bonded over was the paranormal. We had some very spirited conversations, pun intended. Eventually, Ricky moved on to a better position with another company, but we remained in touch. My new position at work required me to do several hours of driving per week. The drive to my Ohio locations would take up to two and a half hours one way. Most of these trips would require a return trip the same day. These long drives introduced me to podcasts. This occurred at the same time in my life as my latest heart procedure in April 2016. The first podcast that hooked me was Lore by Aaron Mankey. The material was right up my alley. There were several episodes so I could binge listen while I drove and it made all of that windshield time fly by quickly. I could not stop listening. This caused me to search for other paranormal podcasts. I tried listening to several, but many did not have the appeal for me for one reason or another. A few, however, stood out. This included Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast and Real Ghost Stories Online with Tony and Jenny Bruski. These three podcasts were all different. Lore was a scripted, well-written podcast by a polished author. The Paranormal Podcast was an interview-style podcast with a host that seemed to ask the perfect questions and had on some very interesting guests. The last one, though, Real Ghost Stories Online, was different. This was hosted by a husband and a wife team that played recordings of people telling their own paranormal experiences, or Tony would read the experiences that the listeners had emailed him. After playing the stories, Tony and Jenny would then discuss them and add a little humor. I loved the blend of paranormal and comedy. 
There were other shows doing this as well, but I was unfamiliar with them at the time. Before long, I had convinced myself that I could host a paranormal podcast. Clearly, I did not know the first thing about starting a podcast, but I was convinced that this was my replacement for comedy. After deciding to go forward, I needed to figure out what kind of format to produce. I knew that doing something like lore was out of my element. I was not that good of a writer and even worse reader. Jim Harold's podcast had an appealing format, but he interviewed well-known authors and paranormal celebrities, and I didn't know anyone to interview that had a big name, so that was out. So that left the format of Real Ghost Stories Online. I like the aspect of two people just sitting around and talking about the paranormal and trying to get some laughs. Thinking back on the many discussions that Ricky and I had about hauntings and ghosts, I thought he would be a great co-host. So I called Ricky and I pitched the idea to him and worked out a plan on what days we could record. This did not sit well with Tracy. She felt slighted that I did not ask her to be my host. Her reaction was fair, but she did not like horror movies, she did not have an interest in the paranormal, and she was easily embarrassed. So I had figured she would not be interested. Plus, she would not fit well with the politically incorrect paranormal podcast that we had planned. The day after talking to Ricky, my mind was made up. I was doing a podcast. The content would feature Southern ghost stories. The next day, I came up with a name. I wanted the name to be catchy and a play on its Kentucky roots. Hillbilly came immediately to mind. I'm a huge fan of alliteration, so horror came to mind pretty quick as well. We were going to be telling stories, so therefore I had a name, Hillbilly Horror Stories. That had a nice ring to it and seemed perfect. Next, I put together a rough draft of what our logo should look like. I put a few examples on Facebook, I got my friends to weigh in on their opinions, and eventually I settled with our original logo of the skull and crossbones, only the crossbones would be banjos and the skull would be wearing a hillbilly hat. This was just a simple black and white logo. Around two weeks after asking Ricky to co-host, I had all the equipment needed to do a podcast at my house. I was a novice, so it was all the wrong equipment but equipment nonetheless. My knowledge on microphones, choosing a podcast hosting company, and getting a podcast distributed was pretty low, to say the least. I researched as much as I could online, and I just started ordering stuff. The first mics I ordered were absolutely horrible. On top of that, the recording software would only allow the use of one microphone without the use of a mixer, and we didn't have a mixer. We chose the wrong hosting company for the podcast, Even the recording location I chose was wrong. We were originally set up in my garage, but the echo and the acoustics were horrible. All that being said, Ricky and I recorded the inaugural episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories on August 21st, 2016, the day before my birthday. Some would ask, why not have the birthday of your podcast be on your birthday? You may remember that my friend Kevin's birthday was the day before mine. I wanted to start the podcast on August 21st as a tribute to him. Oddly enough, the day that I am writing this is September 7th, 2020, exactly eight years since his death. I knew several podcasters on Facebook, and I picked their brains for information. They told me that if your podcast could get a total of 75 downloads a week, we would be doing great. Mind you, that meant total downloads, not per episode. So those were the guidelines we were using. 
The first episode got approximately 125 downloads the first week that it was out. We felt like world beaters. That would not be the biggest or the most surprising news of the week, though. I started to have chest pains again on my birthday. On August 23rd, I went to the hospital and underwent my third heart cath. The stents that they had replaced just four months earlier had also failed. I was going to have to undergo a triple bypass open heart surgery the following Tuesday, August 30th. This was not good news. I knew exactly what was going to happen during the surgery since I had been through this with Tracy. The surgeons would slice down the sternum area, saw through the chest plate, and then spread my ribs out so they could get to my heart. The hospital stay would be four days, but the recovery would be a monster. There would be constant pain, and I would not be allowed to use my arms, and I would have no energy for weeks. After getting this news and returning from having the heart catheterization, the wound on my groin opened and started pouring blood. We had to call an ambulance and spend several hours in the emergency room. The following day, I called Ricky, and I told him that there was no way that I would be up for recording the following week, so we would have to record two episodes of this coming Sunday. I was dedicated to this podcast from the very beginning. In four years of doing Hillbilly Horror Stories, we have never missed an episode. Chapter 22, A Co-Host Change Eventually, Ricky and I were trucking ahead. We each had different facets of the episode research, and then we would meet up on Sundays to record in the new top-of-the-line professional studio that I had set up. Yeah, that would be my bedroom. I enjoyed those early days with Ricky, but the podcast was not entirely what I had envisioned. The truth was that I should have put more thought into the planning aspect of the episodes. In the first episodes, we experimented with using music, and then without music, sharing personal stories, and then regional stories, and then having me serve as the main storyteller, and then doing more of a joint effort between Ricky and myself. The one constant was that the episodes were filled with adult humor. My vision in choosing Ricky was to bring our former personal conversations to life with the podcast. Unfortunately, these conversations did not transfer well to podcasting. The magic I expected was just not there. We had a few moments where some of the magic bled through, but this was the exception more than the norm. Something was just missing. The sound quality was also not what it needed to be, so I was very dissatisfied with the product. Ricky's schedule was also becoming an issue. He had a very busy life. Being married with five children, his wife and the oldest daughters had jobs and they did not drive, so Ricky had a lot of the responsibilities with his own work schedule and getting them to work. This would sometimes interfere with his duties for the podcast. I completely understood, but I can be a control freak and the podcast was a serious venture for me. This was not a hobby for me. I flat out refused to miss a deadline, even when that deadline was self-imposed. Ricky, on the other hand, couldn't be as committed and thus did not share the same intensity that I had, and I honestly did not expect him to. Why should he? We were not getting paid to do the podcast, but that didn't matter to me. I was a workaholic and used to running major companies. This is just the way that I'm wired. I run everything like a business and I do not half-ass anything. On Sunday, October 12th, Tracy and I were on our way to her parents' house. I got a call from Ricky stating that he was sick and not able to record that evening. We had been a day late getting an episode out for a few weeks earlier, and I was bound to determine that this was not going to happen again. 
I turned to Tracy, who was driving at the time, and I said, well, looks like you're going to get your shot tonight. She was excited, but also concerned because she had no clue about the topic for this episode, and she had no time to research. The timing for this was impeccable because the episode that I had put together was on rock and roll music and the occult. I had done all the research and was going to take the lead anyway on this particular episode. Therefore, this was a good show to have a fill-in co-host. I told Tracy that all she had to do was just listen and react. When it was time to record, the nerves set in for Tracy. She knew that I was a perfectionist and she wanted to do a good job. Tracy grew up with a father who was a bluegrass musician, and he had his own radio show. She was no stranger to being in front of a microphone. As soon as we started the recording, all of her concerns just kind of withered away. She was perfect. Our chemistry was so natural. She listened as I told her the stories about Robert Johnson selling his soul at the crossroads in Mississippi, the Led Zeppelin curse, and the Leonard Skinner tragedy, and of course the meaning of Hotel California's lyrics. With each story, she responded with surprise and enthusiasm. That was a fun episode and completely different than anything Ricky and I had done. Ricky heard the episode and he called me to discuss his future with the podcast. I was confused. I told him that he was my co-host. Tracy was great as an emergency replacement, but this was our podcast. He disagreed and reiterated that the episode was really good with her and he thought that it was a given that I would make the change to Tracy as my regular show partner. I assured him that I still wanted him as my sidekick. Ricky and I recorded two more episodes. Ricky then informed me that he felt that it would be best if he just stepped down. He enjoyed podcasting, but it was becoming increasingly difficult to fit research and recording into his busy schedule. He also said that it was his opinion that Hillbilly Horror Stories would be better with Tracy in his role. Honestly, I could not disagree with him. I will always believe that Ricky made his decision mainly because he thought the show was better without him and not because of his schedule. This, to me, reveals Ricky's selflessness. He really is a class act. So on November 5th, 2016, Tracy officially took over as full-time co-host of Hillbilly Horror Stories, and we started an incredible journey of surprises, emotion, gratitude, and humility. 